sorts of things and i just finished introduction to ai which was a very cool course That's, yeah well, i can understand why you'd be drawn to it but <laughs> we're doing our uh, david deer style introduction by the way this is a and if if that doesn't make sense to you you need to be listening to a ninth world journal i'm now talking to the audience but david does this thing where instead of you know the kind of cold open we're here talking to it just sort of drifts in i like that but for sake of clarity, I'm Lee Shackelford, and I'm talking to Alex Kendall. And we are talking about artificial intelligence because Alex and I have – this is the first time I've ever seen Alex, and it's through video. But we've gotten to know each other via Twitter, talking a lot about artificial intelligence. And obviously, Alex – because this is now a real thing in the real world. When I was in college, it wasn't available thing to study. Obviously, relativity is kind of deeply involved with at least a fictional idea of artificial intelligence. And, and I think, Alex, you may have been the one that pointed out that that all of these, um, especially the spacefaring science fiction podcasts that are right now, they all have AI characters. Oh, I love it. It's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to be following them all just to see what their AI characters are doing. And they range from um, the silly on uh, Oz9 to... Um, some pretty grim, some pretty dark uh, AI. So, but I, I sort of backed into it on on relativity. I I really wanted to have somebody else for Chris to talk to, and I realized that once we got the power back on, that meant all the ship's computers were going to be back on. I thought, well, the, we need a voice. We need the kind of HAL 9000. And the more I started writing that, just the more Nadia kind of kind of took off. And I, I'm always skeptical about writers who say my characters surprised me, but this time. It really did happen, and I, so and you've had a lot of uh, helpful and lovely things to say about that. But what, what do you suppose is the fascination? Why do you why why do you think you're you're interested in artificial intelligence? Well, okay, there's two sides to it because yeah. there's real artificial intelligence and yeah. the technology and study and science that goes into that and then there's the fictional characters and the exploration you can do in fiction with the concept of a robot or an android or a artificial intelligence or whatever else like they're two kind of separate fascinations that just overlap and complement each other because for like the real interest in real artificial intelligence is the idea of trying to design the way humans think mm -hmm. um because you like i mean there's a million examples i could go into but like for example um so the what like people classically think of as a modern ai you think of google or alexa or cortana or whatever the science that goes into Designing a system to be able to answer questions is not particularly hard. Designing a system, a system that can parse a question out loud and then answer it out loud is yeah. really different and hard and fascinating. And then you get into stuff like the Turing test where you have like, can we make a computer that you can't tell from a human? Then that's where it sort of branches into fiction of like, if we can get to that point where we can like make sentient life or even if it's not sentient, it acts sentient. If we can, if we can make something like that, 
what does that mean for the world? And it's just, yeah. it asks interesting questions. And then you get like the interesting stuff in fiction. Like, I mean, relativity explores it. A lot of different things explore it, but like what counts as a person, what counts as consciousness, mm-hmm. um, different views of the way that people think and just process the world. And I don't know, it's, I, I will stop talking now. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to have you on the show so you could talk because, because uh, I think you're, I think you're fascinating and it's a fascinating topic. So I'm glad you went right, right to what I consider the meat of this is that people, they're sort of wondering if Alexa knows what they're doing and is really interested in what they're doing. And maybe they don't understand that. I don't think Alexa is really at that level. I don't, I, I don't I don't think Alexa cares. I'm sorry, but she may tell you that she does, but that's because somebody told her to say that. Yeah, she she does tell you that she does care because she's hard coded to um and I mean here I am like calling her she. It's, well exactly. But um but like those devices tend to have hard coded answers even to preference questions. Like if you ask Alexa, um her favorite color, she'll answer ultraviolet. Like, I, I love know. that. That's <laughs> yeah, great. Right. But um, it's... Well, I remember that early on when uh, when uh, when Siri, I think, was just sort of brand spanking new, that I just, I couldn't resist. So I asked Siri uh, what she can tell me about HAL 9000. And in those days, the answer they had built in was a little, kind of a tetchy little pause. And then she would say, we don't talk about HAL 9000. <laughs> Which is just some some playful people, you know. Yeah. Well, see, that's also the thing is the people who program that sort of thing are also just as big nerds about it. Of course, yeah. So it's like they want it to do that sort of stuff because it's fun. Right. (laughs) I think people may may at the moment, I mean, you know, the the general the general audience, really underestimating the difference between where we are in fictional AI and real world AI, and yet. We're getting closer, are we? Are we? Um, yeah, I'd say we are. It's the power of human empathy, <laughs> of huh. where you see something that acts like a person and looks like a person, huh. so suddenly it's a person. Like I, I mean, even like I know the way that computers think to a certain degree, but I still like cried when the Opportunity mission ended, just because yeah. like mm. it made me really sad because the robot died, but like. Right. It's a, it is a computer, and it does not. It wasn't alive in the first place. <laughs> we don't have to ask these questions about like, is it conscious yet? We're always getting closer, and there will like I don't I think there it's anywhere in the near future, but there will probably eventually come a line where it's like, well, what do we count as intelligent? Mm-hmm. And also, is intelligence the same as consciousness? And all sorts of questions like that that start to come into play when you like theoretically have something that can properly behave like a person we're calling it artificial intelligence and not artificial consciousness or where do you where do you think the line is i could not tell you um it's above your pay grade (laughs) (laughs) certainly because um i know there's a star trek episode that explores this in early season two (laughs) uh next generation yeah um, i was going to ask if you if you know measure of a man because that's uh yeah, that I do. Sort I, of a breakthrough for I think a lot of people was because it ends sort of with the judge, you know, spoiler, <laughs> saying <laughs> we're really asking if data has a soul. Well, I don't know if I have a soul. Yeah, well, it's because we don't know what consciousness is in a human. That's right. Or even in animals, like we don't know which animals count as 
like if any animals count as um, sentient, like right. you, dolphins, maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> octopuses. Yeah. Is a dog sentient? Is a parrot? A, a parrot can talk. A parrot can yeah. talk English. <laughs> Um, well, the, the parrot is a good analog for some of these computer systems, though, because a parrot may imitate what you're saying, but they probably don't know what it means. And then there's the extra layer of they don't know what it means, but they know what it gets them. That's right. And I suspect that Alexa prob- is basically a parrot then. <laughs> sure. So, probably that's interesting. <laughs> Another one of Amazon's uh, services is called Amazon Polly. Hmm. <laughs> Anyway, and Amazon Polly, by the way, is what I use to make Nadia's voice. Oh, so I was actually going to ask you that because I, I was pretty sure it was a synthesized voice, mm-hmm. but I was not 100 percent sure. <laughs> yeah, which is how good Amazon Polly is, right? Yeah, I think that for all the AIs on all of these uh, these uh, sci-fi uh, podcasts, I think we still have the distinction of being the only one that is actually a robot. I, as far as I'm aware, I mean, not to like vouch for my own knowledge in sci-fi podcasts, you but know a lot. I have listened to a lot of them. Yeah. I can probably list 30 AIs off the top of my head, and <laughs> I don't know any others that are off the top of my head, actual robots. It, 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 I, I love the convenience of it because I can call on her at any time of the day or night, of course, and, but it's certainly... I don't know. It's easier to get subtleties of performance if you have a, a, a an actor. So I, I, I know that's one that's one of the reasons why other people are using real people. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it also depends what degree of, I don't know, roboticness versus humanness you want in the tone of voice of said, like, AI. Because right. that also varies from story to story is where in AI development that AI is supposed to, like, exist. Right. Which is interesting. <laughs> thing to explore also i've already wondered if i've if i've uh, shot myself in the foot by saying that nadia is growing and evolving and that she like data uh really wants to be human so like oh, oh dear now <laughs> now this is going to just keep getting harder harder to write and harder to make that voice work but um i i, I have a friend who is a game designer and um he was telling me about he was working for one of the big guys Electronic Arts? I can't remember now. But he was talking about the uh, the engine that they were designing to run the game. And this is probably old old news to you. You may know exactly what I'm talking about. But they, they basically killed the project because what, um, what was going to happen in the game was that every time you played any part of the game, the computer would learn everything that you did and then outmatch you. So it was designed to be a learning system so that the the level of skill required to keep playing the game would keep escalating. And one of the things that became troublesome to them was the realization that if we keep going down this path, we we do have the potential to end up with a computer that's smarter than any of the players. That's kind of problematic. But just because they stopped playing with that at, at Nintendo or wherever it was, that doesn't mean other people aren't aren't playing with the same thing. Is that, are you doing that? Uh, <laughs> are you aware of people who are trying to figure out how to how to how to bump the curve like that? Well, okay, so I'm not aware of any specific projects, but like mm-hmm. that as a concept is kind of like when you conceptualize AI research into just one big bubble, is the kind the goal essentially is to make things think like humans, mm-hmm. but the thing is, a computer 
doesn't think like a human. Yeah. So if there is a deterministic solution to a problem, the robot will always do better than people. Mm-hmm. So like things like playing chess, um, yeah. It it varies a little bit with like an AI that plays chess because technically it has to respond to other moves. But theoretically, a chess playing AI would be able to think so many moves in advance for a million different options that right. it like it will basically guarantee when once it has learnt, it will be better than people. Yeah. Well, I just heard an interview with uh, Bill Nye um, just the other day, and he was talking about robots and sci- and uh, computer thought and he said you know he said my my grandchildren or or their children are are going to look back at 2020 and say wait a minute you used to drive automobiles why and, and he said and, and we're going to be saying yeah and um well didn't people get killed doing that yep every day yeah yeah wasn't that massively inefficient yeah yeah it was yeah you know that's all we had at the time we're amidst but, the uh technological revolution i i know that when the when the robot car becomes more you know something more widespread i i can imagine the tremendous pushback just because uh we don't like having our autonomy taken away like that but the fact is they're already better at it than we are they're way better at it than we are but they can't make human judgments that's what i was just gonna say is they can't make human judgments so you run into the problems of of like when you run into a problem where there is no right answer, what do you program the computer to make yeah. the choice of? To dig into sci-fi again is tends to be a covered topic of like, we have these theoretically thinking machines and they know what they're doing and they're conscious, but they still have these programmed like human safety overrides, like mm-hmm. something along the lines of like Asimov's laws um, generally is programmed into any given um, fictional AI just because right. it's like, well, we need, regardless of what it wants to do, we need it to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And that is generally tends to be explored along the avenue of it's like, but those are not like written in stone factual rules yeah and there will always be exceptions so yeah conceivably in your career one of the things that you may be doing is writing software that will help govern self-driving automobiles and if i'm following you right you're saying that means that the part of the bird will fall on you to say okay if there's person x in the crosswalk (laughs) that you can see and there's one person in the car don't make the judgment that it's okay to murder the person in the crosswalk to, for the safety of the person in the car, okay? Which, just so, side note, if you had Asimov's laws in place, would right. protect the owner over the, uh, like the owner of the car over the random other person. Well, and I think that's why that's the example that comes up is that if if we're not supposed to do any harm, what happens when a robot gets in the in the in the conflict of, uh, but one of these things is going to harm somebody, so. What do I do now? You'll have to be the human being who's saying, okay, in that circumstance. Yeah, that's why um, I think um, there aren't many professional software engineers, because once you've signed off on being a professional, you're the person who has to sign the paperwork that Uh, says, if this hurts people, it's my fault. Yeah. And it's software is so finicky that... No one wants to do that. It's That's, scary. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard that before. That's an amazing insight, but 
it makes sense. I mean, how can you possibly know what the what the implications are down the road for what you've for what you've done? Mm-hmm. It's only started to kind of make a rise too, because like as a professional mechanical or civil engineer, you hear stories about the people who end up going to prison when like a bridge falls. Mm-hmm. But That's right. that applies to software as well. Yeah. What happens when the self-driving car murders people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, it, you make me want to look more into this, but I know that um, for all of us who are interested in robotics, I mean, there was a, a, a factory robot that killed somebody in like 1976. And uh, and th- that was a discussion at the time was, well, whose fault is that? The, the factory worker on the floor, he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. But if there had been a person doing that job, they wouldn't have just clobbered him with a giant metal arm. But the robot just didn't know he was there. But he was still dead. Who's to blame? I'm not totally sure how it works in the States, but yeah, the concept of a professional engineer is something that has slowly been ingrained into me throughout university because you have to actually like register with register as a professional engineer. Here. That's interesting. Well, all of which is building towards a question. What do you what do you think is the next big thing technologically The the world changer? You know, oh, the, the Internet and the cell phone, I think, are complete game changers. That's a good question, but I don't know if I have an answer. Should have given you that one in advance, right? (laughs) Well, because it kind of varies based on... Because I'm sure there are plenty of game-changing technologies upcoming, but it's really hard to predict what specific thing will come first or what will make the bigger impact. Um, Because I think of things off the top of my head, I think stuff like self-driving cars and the... um, also AI in general in terms of just like accessibility and usefulness of it will increase over time and it will like stuff like the internet of things and smart homes I'm not sure to what degree those words are like commonplace so call me out if I'm saying things that don't make sense I feel like people are are getting pretty hip to the internet of things oh I I believe that I just I have no frame of reference. Well, for... I'm not sure I do either. So, I'm, <laughs> but how would how would you describe it for the for the layperson who who doesn't know what we're talking about? Um, the Internet think... of Things is basically the interconnectedness of different technologies within day to day circumstance. Smart devices is kind of the more marketed term of right. stuff like when you ask Alexa to turn on your light, it requires right interconnectivity between your the electricity in your house and your light and your um, AI home assistant. And as you get more and more of that sort of thing with like door locks and um, mail delivery and um, whatever else is, it all gets interconnected into this. We are living in a world where the internet connects everything, um, including just the day-to-day items in your house. You especially see that with um, as things like Alexa get more popular is they tend to, along with the home assistant thing itself, is half the home assistant's ability is to control smart devices. I have a friend who has a Tesla, and uh, he was he's told me that um, because it's connected to the Internet of Things at his house, that uh, as he's approaching his house, he just likes to say to the dashboard, open the garage door and, and you know turn on the lights on the stairwell and and if he's 15 minutes out and he's turned down the uh, the heater in his house when it's cold, he'll he'll tell the car to tell his house to turn the heat up so it'll be warm when he gets there. And I think you know if that becomes ubiquitous, yeah, I think people will love that. Yeah, it's super convenient. But, it's just 
in security engineering, there's always this this graph that I think of, I remember seeing during my uh, security engineering class that was basically a bimodal graph of security versus convenience. And Mm -hmm. you have to find the sweet spot on that graph that you want your specific piece of technology to fit on because people don't like things being inconvenient, but they also don't want them to be insecure. Yeah. So... And stuff like the Internet of Things really just showcases that that trying to find that sweet center point where where it is secure enough and it is safe to use, but also it's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have this conversation with my mother who is in her 80s, you know, and um, sometimes she'll say, I really wish I could have one of these things. And I'll say, Mom, you can get that on Amazon. And she says, I'm not going online with my credit card. I'm not going to give them the numbers that connect to my bank. I'm not going to do that. So there's the convenience that would be, you know, sometimes uh, all she needs, but she's not going to trade the security for it. Yeah. And it varies person to person. And the thing is also with like, um, especially people like myself who kind of grew up in the peak of the technological revolution where like, like I was nine when the first iPhone came out and I had, I remember specifically, I had an iPhone 3 in grade 8 as a gift, and everyone thought I was really cool for it. Yeah. And that's like eight years ago, and mm-hmm. even by the end of high school, everyone had an iPhone. Like, that wasn't even a thing, like, mm-hmm. or at least a smartphone. Right. So, like, that's my range of, is I, I've just, I'm used to technology evolving ridiculously mm-hmm. fast, and as such, people my age tend to lean kind of heavier into the convenience opposed to the security just because they are used to technology being convenient and and, they, and you you haven't experienced it as just being a, a crapshoot you, you you don't think that it it hasn't been your experience that it's suicidal to put your personal information into your iphone mm-hmm. you know? oh yeah and so. then you get stuff like here's more more convenience of an iphone is the like health file allows you to have your medical ID that's super useful for people who like would have worn bracelets or maybe do wear bracelets and like having that information easy, easily accessible on your phone. Mm -hmm. But at the same time that allows for such simple, if you have find someone's phone, chances are with just the main menus without unlocking the phone, you can find out their name and phone number and maybe address Mm -hmm. and also potentially some like, (laughs) lethal allergies or Mm -hmm. health conditions and whatnot. But like you can learn a ridiculous amount of personal information about a person just by picking up their phone, just because of like convenience features. Which in a bizarre way brings us back to what, to the original discussion, which is the way things have turned out in, in relativity is that we have a person who is now entirely dependent on somebody back on the ground, you know, who would, they can't physically interact and this machine who when last we left her is a 12 year old girl people who haven't seen 2001 a space odyssey know about that relationship with with hal and um so it's a question that's been around for at least 50 years was is it is it wise for us to trust so completely in a in a machine is it is it all part of the same question that we're just will always be in the on this cusp between convenience and security? You think? Or? Yeah, I mean, probably. It's it, it, it. The thing is, because it's not a clear line either. Is people will just 
some people will lean further into one side than the other, and there is no clearly defined line of this is how convenient it can be while still being secure. So that's just, Mm -hmm. that's where, actually, I do want to vouch for Hal for a second, because I like Hal, and he's not evil. No. Hal Hal has been described to me throughout my life as like, the go-to lawful evil character, but he is so not. And after actually seeing um, Space Odyssey, is I love Hal. He's true neutral. He is just programmed poorly. <laughs> he just does. He does not have the leaps in logic that humans would have to make to judge a situation safe. Mm-hmm. And how that exhibits in that specific story is the fact that he is prioritizing the safety of like the the ship over the people in it, which it's totally reasonable for a computer to do. It has I, no ill intent. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear you say that because I, the, the older I've gotten, the, the, the more times I revisit 2001, I think, wait a minute, he is just doing exactly what he was told to do. I don't. <laughs> I. I have so many feelings about that. Yeah. I think Hal is a great example of AIs just functioning as they are supposed to, uh, which is also where you can like explore with different stories. Because like Hal was not a learning AI. I think they might have called him one in the thing, but the, like the way he behaves as a computer does not really exhibit learning. Yeah. Um. It just exhibits intelligence. I mean, I can get into the kind of, there are distinct different categories of AI in the real world that we like apply categorically as kind of higher and higher levels of intelligence. Because you can start with just, because what people think of as an AI isn't inherently what an AI is. Because an AI is just, in actuality, a machine that responds to an environment with a specific set of um, actions. A reflexive AI is kind of the most basic form of an AI you can have, which basically it sees something, it does what it's supposed to do when it sees that input. Yeah. I don't know, like a <laughs> you could you know those piggy banks that when you put the coin on them, like the little cat paw comes out right. or whatever, something, like yeah. that could be described as an AI, hmm. just simply because it. Um, I mean, it might not be programmed as one, but the 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 term artificial intelligence is coined to how something is programmed more than necessarily what it does as in is it programmed to follow logic or is it programmed just to do something oh that's very interesting and i and i didn't know the distinction the thing that a lot of people associate with like like specifically fictional ai the concept of an ai in like a story tends to be It'll generally be a neural net, which is a type of AI, with machine learning as like a major feature. The thing yeah. is, machine learning is kind of a an overlapping category with AI. So, um, they like an AI does not necessarily have to be adaptive. So then, there's a category of AIs that that are adaptive. The, the whole idea is to keep learning and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you get into more complex AI and what people generally coin as AI when they're talking about it tends to be um, something that can learn and adapt and, frankly, it fits in the category of machine learning. It's designed in, with, a, with a structure of logic, logical deductions as its basis, and then it can learn and change those actions based on stimulus. And that does start to sound more like we're talking about a, an organic uh being of some kind this is a 
Yeah, and but, it's that's the thing is it's 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 basically a degree of, of like an uh, an avenue of computer science that is designed to replicate the human brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do Do you think that's funny that that seems that that's the goal? Like like we're so freaking great that we. I've had this uh, exact conversation with uh, so many people. I love it as a as a topic because there is nothing that inherently makes the human thought process so special. It's just that it's the one we know, and we want well, to see if we can imitate. Right. It's um, yeah. That's the only also, perspective we have. Yeah. For, because it's our own perspective, we want to like um, when we are interacting with software, it mm-hmm. it would ideally behave the way we intuitively expect it to, right. and for it to do that, it has to understand how humans think, mm-hmm. which is way more complex than that sentence. (laughs) Like, you're just like, oh, let me just program this computer to think. Yeah. Because there's an XKCD comic that's, like, someone asking the person for, like, can can the software tag whenever it's in a national park? And it's like, that's easy. That's just a GPS tag. And then what if it has a bird in it? That requires five years of research. Give me a minute. (laughs) And it's just, like, it's these little things that both like humans can do both with just inference i guess mm-hmm. whereas a computer part of it is super easy the other part is requires thinking like a person which is massively complex uh which is where i kind of you've probably seen me tweet about it frankly because i talk about it a lot it's one of my favorite kind of thought experiments when i'm thinking about um specifically like well-developed de- fictional AIs when, uh, like thinking Nadia or uh like Hera from Wolf 359 or Andy from Marsfall like yeah. those sorts of one- or Data frankly from yeah. Star Trek like any sort of like AI where the story includes how they experience the world one of my favorite things to conceptualize around that this is me getting into my deep engineer nerd lore <laughs> um, <laughs> I love to like approach those things like how does Nadia see? And mm-hmm. so it's like, cause we know that, I mean, I don't know inherently, I assume there are cameras since Nadia needs things to be moved for her to see. So it's like, right. okay, so she views through cameras. How does she parse that information? Mm-hmm. Image processing is a huge thing. That is yeah. a lot of work to do. And it's yeah. like, well, does it stop at edge detection or does she go for full classification? And it's just like, this is, Oh, sorry. Um, This is just where I start to like blend the two categories. Cause theoretically, Mm -hmm. if these, if these things did exist, they would be thinking in the ways that we already know, or at least evolutions from them. Mm -hmm. So we have all these models for like how, we make computers think like people and it's i find it very interesting to apply that to the logic that we pretend computers are thinking with right. and then go well how are they doing it yeah. I, that's just <laughs> that is something that i like to do that i have never been able to properly like express to other people cuz it's <laughs> ridiculously niche <laughs> Yeah, but it, it, but I find it thrilling just to just to, to to read and to hear your enthusiasm about it because my my guess is that this is the origin point of of uh, all of the great breakthroughs of, of science is when somebody says yeah but what if you you could be the one who's going to make the the great the great breakthroughs so, it'd be cool <laughs> it'd be cool yeah let me work it, on the 
let me work on the robot that goes to space. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you can be, uh, in, for future generations, you can be either the most loved or most hated person who ever lived after you've signed on that dotted line. And <laughs> I could just sit and talk with you about this stuff forever because it's, we're, we're obviously, we're, we're both fascinated by it and you, you know a hell of a lot more about it than I do. I'm just making stuff up. So, and you're doing uh, a good job. <laughs> thank you. The thing I, um, is, if you've interacted with computers, you probably know how a computer works. The question is how to make the computer work like us. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a really good summation. I mean, maybe people listening to this will take that away as a a thought because uh, yeah, I think most of us as users we don't think that way. We're not we're not thinking about what the computer makes of us. But yeah, so great to talk to you, and I I, I promise you, there's more relativity coming. We, we're nine episodes from the end, but you know. We had this thing happen, this pandemic thing, and it's um, it's brought a lot of things in the world screeching to a halt. And my golly, we were going to meet in person this week. This is the week that Wi-Fi Sci-Fi Live was going to happen, and uh, it didn't, and it's not going to. It's not going to right now. We're going to we're going to do something somehow. But the uh, the venue in Seattle where we were going to do the show has uh, has succumbed to the coronavirus. So now we're all of us who are showrunners for those uh, six shows, we're talking about maybe we'll go somewhere else. Maybe we'll go to British Columbia. <laughs> maybe we'll, <laughs> Don't go too far away. <laughs> right. Well, that's, yeah. Can't travel very far. That's right. We were at least in your time zone when we started Yeah, before, Seattle's yeah. easy for me because it's just like a hop off the island. Yeah. But like, it was really lucky that it was there. It got me really excited because it's yeah. like, that is actually feasible for me. <laughs> yeah. it, it may yet be Seattle. Who knows? But... Well, th- well, thanks for taking time out of your day. and uh, Thank you for having me. It was a really yeah. cool discussion. I know I wouldn't have to twist your arm to talk about AI. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll talk to you again soon. Hello,